Welcome to the Prophecy Club. I just counted them up. Wednesday, I made a two-hour video giving you 33 reasons why you should come to the Sevenfold Miracle Crusade. Thirty years ago, God began giving me prophecies saying that one day He's going to use me to win thousands upon thousands of souls to His kingdom, including an audible voice, a vision, a dream, six prophetic words, 33 in all, and I believe that I have been directed to organize a meeting to release sevenfold miracles. We're asking those who believe in the warning given to Dimitri Dudeman that America is the mystery Babylon, willing to sow a key of David's seed, commit to a three-day consecutive fast, and believe in the end times to come to this crusade. During this crusade, we're asking people to walk the steps of Moses by observing Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, which is April 19 to 22. We believe that once we have fasted, sown the key of David, and opened the doors and followed the steps of Moses, God is going to release the sevenfold miracles like no person or angel in human history has ever seen. If you want to attend, register at sevenfoldmiraclecrusades.com. There are only 500 seats available. We expect to have several thousand wanting to come. That's sevenfoldmiraclecrusades.com. Register while there are still seats available. sevenfoldmiraclecrusades.com. If you've been listening to the Prophecy Club for a while, you've probably heard me quote some amazing prophecies, and you probably thought, man, I'd like to have a copy of those prophecies. I put together my selection of the most quoted speakers we've had at the Prophecy Club, and by getting this offer, you will have the most important information from 25 years, 160 guest speakers that have made 330 DVDs, in my opinion. It's called Stan's Quote Material. The first one is The Storm Judgment Revival. You've heard me say Shane Warren many times. Revelations for the Midnight Hour, Maurice Scalar. I Saw the Dollar Dead, Daniel Davis. The End of Times, Augusto Perez. Will You Survive America's Fall, Doug Metzger. Catastrophe Meteor Tsunami Earthquake, Ephraim Rodriguez. Meteor Destruction of America by me. And the most important one, Wake Up America by Dimitri Dudeman, and a book called Prophecies of the Fall of America. That's nine DVDs, one book, valued $280 for a gift of just $75. That's right, $280 worth of material, nine DVDs in a book for $75. And it's called Stan's Quote Material. You get it at prophecyclub.com. Stan's Quote material. I would even say Stan's favorite quote material. You want the best information? You get this offer. Stan's quote material. Nine DVDs and a book. $280 value for $75. Prophecyclub.com. Now we're going to listen to one of them, Will You Survive America's Fall by Doug Metzger. There was one time I woke up out of, a, uh, out of sleep and I heard, as it were, a million voices screaming all at once. And uh, there's times, have you ever turned to God and you start talking to him, you're asking him a question, and he answers you before you even get, you know, the question out. Father, what am I hearing? And I hear him immediately say to me, Doug, what you're hearing is a million souls crying out at once in the nanosecond between life and death. Uh, The nanosecond between they're living and they know that they're going to hell and there's nothing that could stop him. And you can't help but to be moved uh, to compassion and intercession. Father, as many that can be saved, would you save them? And what happened was 
I also felt the Lord say this is what's also coming to America, whether it's the, in the natural, a nuclear explosion, um, but also that we pray and intercede as many that can be spared, Father spared. I saw our, our dollar drop, and the, the value of the dollar went from 10 to 1. $10 per, every $10 become $1. Uh, my wife and I, we were down in Bolivia years ago, and the inflation rate, on every, on every corner, they had money changers, and they would hold up Bolivianos in one hand and greenbacks in the other. Their, their economy was the greenback. The, it was 2,300% inflation at the time. It's hard to imagine. A friend of mine gave me a, a, the largest Boliviano, and on it, they didn't even bother printing them up anymore. All they would do is stamp a number over what they printed up, and on the stamp over it was 20B. I said, what's, what's 20B? He said, that's 20 billion Bolivianos. I said, what's that worth, right? 20 billion, that's going to be worth something, right? He says, that's our highest note. It's worth $10 that the inflation had gone to such an extreme that the highest note was 20 billion Bolivianos. The point is, it's interesting, is that we're doing the exact same thing. If you know anything about what Bolivia did, Bolivia simply printed up money to pay their debts, and it's no different than what we're presently doing. We're heading down a track to our own destruction. And it was interesting because he had this big bundle, he had this big bundle of, of money, and I said, what do you do with that? He was a missionary. And he said, well, we take that into the jungle because when we don't have toilet paper, we just use the old pills. In other words, and the dollar is going to come to the same place of being absolutely worthless. Now, the scariest part of this, the scariest part of the dollar becoming worthless and just trash. How many here, when you go to church, you go to the same seat every week? Okay, show of hands. Do you know why you do that? We never, we never think about it. What's that? Very good. You get an A. <laughs> it's comfort zone. We gravitate to what is familiar to us. And what is the scariest thing about that's coming is that people don't know what it's like not to have the familiar, um, not to have the ability to go to 7-Eleven to get your gas or to get food or, or whatever. And what I saw was two extremes. In this vision, I saw... A woman who would never have given anyone the least bit of consideration, had nothing but, but wealth, selling herself just to eat. And that the, the greatest horror and temptation of the days yet to come, I think the greatest temptation of the last days is a simple verse. Skin for skin, man will do anything as to save their life. And, that, um, and it's because they did not make God their salvation. They made the dollar their salvation. They made everything their salvation uh, except for Jesus himself. And in this time, the one, the, over the, uh, I, I'll share this, this last year, sometimes God talks to me in dreams and visions, but he also speaks to me, and I'll hear him in a word. Last year, it's always January, he would give me something. And the year previous is, Doug, you will prosper. I have an internet business. I've got a few businesses, but I have an internet business. And he said, you will prosper between January, February, and March. And this was last year. And I did record months, record sales. But he said, just those months. <laughs> Our business dropped 66% come April. And uh, you start worrying a little bit when you lose that much income. Okay. And, and the Lord was faithful. He brought us around to the other side. And I experienced him every January giving me a sense of things yet to come. This January was unlike any January I had ever experienced. 
the, the quickening of the sense of horror that was coming. And I, Father, it's like, what's coming? And understand, I, I had prefaced this earlier that you know, my wife was curious one time. She wanted to see one of the crime scenes that I was filming. And uh, I said, honey, you don't want to do this. And uh, she was sick for a few days after witnessing what what she saw. And the things, that, again, I, I have seen everything you could possibly imagine, heard everything you could possibly hear. And the Father's quickening in my heart. This year's going to be worse than even your mind is able to get around. This year is what I felt. This was going to be a hard year. Now, I have to ask the question. I mean, I give this as, as the test, for anyone as the test. Um, you know, I always have to ask the question. I don't know about y'all. When you hear God, you start with yourself. Is this me, God? Is this going to be a horrible year for me? <laughs> you know, or what? And, I, and again, I felt like he was quickening this year. What whatever is going to happen is going to happen sooner, I believe, than later. And this is, uh, it's difficult because he's not explaining to me what it is. And I think he's trying to explain to me it's worse than your mind could possibly imagine. And I, can, and I could imagine a lot. Uh, I was not easily provoked in the things that I would hear people have done. I do a lot of business on eBay. Well, one of our venues, I think we did about uh, 900 900,000 last year, almost a million last year. And as he was showing me how the dollars devalue, he also said in one day, eBay, the internet business that I have would be out of business because there wouldn't be commerce. He showed me uh, uh, turnstiles. You know what a turnstile is? Okay, he gave me a vision of a, of a turnstile. And in the turnstile, it was empty. There was no one going through it. And he was saying, this is also what's coming. People won't be able to afford. Where are their turnstiles? Where's their turnstiles? Subway, bus station, airport, uh, sporting venues. In other words, money would be devalued so much that they couldn't even go to the normal things that we all went to. Now, what do people do when they're desperate? Anything. Am I right? And I have to say this. This is, this is critical. Paul said the cross or Christ is the power of God, but he says it's also the wisdom of God. And when I would turn to Christ, and I said, Father, I am terrified. And I hear him come back and say, why are you terrified? And I was left with, I guess I don't know you big enough. You're right. But what do you know? I know an abusive father. I know a brother who would beat me up almost every day. I never knew a safe place. He says, you're right. All things in heaven must be reconciled. You're still projecting over me that I'm like somebody you know. Repent. And I'd repent of it. I said, Father, you now create with him the ability to believe upon you for greater things. And I'd witness him do that. One of the things that, one of the things over the years, do you mind me sharing some of these things? Okay. One of the things I learned over the years is the power of forgiveness. Because how many here have ever been hurt and betrayed and unforgiveness? And, that's, and, and the things that are coming is going to be great betrayal that's coming from our government. And the problem is, and this is something that was more quickened to me in the last few weeks, is that what's coming is when we discover what has happened, it'll be too late for us to do anything about. But talking about in that time of, of prayer, what happens in prayer, specifically forgiveness. If you've been betrayed, how many here, your temptation, this is a very Western way of problem solving, that when something bad happens to us, the first thing we do in a Western mindset is we have to fix the blame on, on somebody. That this was going to happen imas, and it's, it's a pointless effort to 
to try and find someone to blame. The temptations are coming on us. The real issue is why don't I believe you, God, is bigger than whatever temptation is coming. And I'll share this one, one thing about uh, forgiveness. I had an uh, employee of mine whose mother was uh, a Christian scientist. She was 70-some years old and had been in Christian science most of her life. And they had issues between one another. And so she invited, Mom, would you sit in with us? And uh, I want to get rid of what me can't love you. She says, well, I'm not going to go to some Christian counselor. I said, no, Mom, you don't understand. I want to repent of what me can't love you. She said, well, I guess I can go to that. And uh, so she'd come, and I said, why can't you love Mom? And she'd see this, that, and the other thing. And I said, I'd, so I led her in prayer. Mom's just watching. I led her in prayer. Okay, own this. And she'd own it. She'd repent of it. And I turned to Mom. I said, Mom, what would you think? She says, well, that wasn't bad at all. My daughter's repenting the whole time why she didn't love me. So that wasn't bad at all. And so, so we, this went on for three days. The next day, same thing. And on the next day, as she started owning again why she couldn't love Mom, why she couldn't. And basically, she didn't have faith that God would take care of her. And so she put all the blame on who Mom was for the disaster that her life was. And as she owned that... You know, again, mom would be released, and then all of a sudden, mom starts revealing, starts opening up a little door. Well, here's how I got into Christian Science, and she shared that she was raped when she was 17 years old and got pregnant. Christian Science is a great religion for denial. You know, you don't ever have to face anything; you just deny its existence. And so the next day, she comes in and she starts opening up with that. I said, "How about if I pray for you about the hurt the 17-year-old child had experienced?" And so I'm leading her. Just repeat after me. And she said, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I bring the hurt and the wound of a 17-year-old, and I bring that to the cross and how it turned me against everything. And, and, and Father, I ask that it be dead on the cross. As Jesus, you bore the grief and sorrow. And she's released all of a sudden. And she's looking at wide-eyed, she's going, what was that? I said, what do you feel? She feels, I, I feel nothing but love. I feel nothing but, I feel lighter and I feel love. I said, do you know who that is? Now, who is this? I said, that's Jesus. Would you like him to stay? Well, who wouldn't? And so I, and I said, repeat after me, Jesus, Jesus, stay, stay. <laughs> and, that, and that was the end of that counseling session. And the, the, the daughter went to the bathroom. I walk outside with a woman, and I'm standing next to her. She falls dead. She fell so fast on her face that there, there was no time for me to even reach out and try and catch her. And the daughter comes out of the bathroom and... Uh, I said, what happened? She's her mother dead on the ground. And I said, she died. You know, this is a Jewish part of me. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> and uh, we prayed over her. And I said, Father, we commit her spirit to you. You know, this. And I said, wow, that's kind of cool. And, uh, and so we're talking back and forth. Another secretary had called an ambulance. Now, my office was right next to the hospital. I could have just picked her up and carried her over. It was documented 17 minutes before the ambulance got there, 23 minutes before she came back to life in the hospital. And her, the daughter said to me this, she said, you know, my biggest fear with mom is she would die and go to hell. And what I had just witnessed in your office, that was miraculous. I saw her come to salvation. What happens when you forgive? You release the Holy Spirit who knows the frame and the character of the person that you're forgiving and can talk to them in such a way that woos them, wins them, and leads them to the knowledge of Christ. So how many here have been offended by somebody? How many have been hurt and betrayed? Guess what? That is all prayer fodder of intercession 
to loose whoever it was who did that to you. When you discover God is greater than whatever the loss is, greater than whatever the offense or the betrayal was, it's loosed. And to see as a nation, we're heading into a time where it's going to happen emas. So as you discover it for yourself now, as you start making that intercession, you won't be a liability as things start unraveling. Anyone has any hope laid up inside of you, uh, they'll come running to in mass. Please tell us the hope that you have in, inside of you. How is it you can be at peace in the midst of what's going on? Well, let me tell you what I had to pray through. What did, let me tell you what I had to overcome. My fears. You know, it's going to be universal. <sighs> Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. How many here have ever been in a place so vulnerable, so terrified, not knowing what to do? I found the fastest way out of that is to start with God. I'm clueless. Apart from you, I can do nothing. I also discovered when you give God permission, God, I give you permission, would you reveal yourself to me in some way? He shows up. I had countless people that in my office, involved in witchcraft or New Age, even atheists, and I'd say, well, let's pray. And they're looking at me, I don't believe in God. Well, this isn't going to hurt, is it? (laughs) Well, I guess you got me there. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, who I don't believe in. Fine, preface it that way. And and God, I give you permission. Okay, God, who I don't believe in, I give you permission to reveal yourself to me. And I cannot tell you how many times they would come the next week glowing with the presence of God's Spirit. And they're looking at me going, you're right, I'm wrong. He showed up. (laughs) He revealed, he works through permission. If you get stuck, many of us raised in religion will repeat what we think God wants to hear. Rather than saying, Doug, what's on your heart? I had a, a, a physician that was also on staff. And he, uh, through the Clinton era, he was one of those doctors that they had removed insurance pay. And for nine months, he still had to be a physician without being paid as he was investigated by the FBI. And I call him and say, hey, brother, how you doing? Oh, praise God, he's on the throne, hallelujah. Okay, fine. Next month, next month, next, after nine months, how you doing? I'm in pain. I haven't had any income in nine months. I, I said, hallelujah. And how we got something to work with. It took you nine months to get honest. What's in your heart? And we prayed about what was in heart. And I said, have you ever thought about forgiving the government what they're doing? No, I hadn't thought about forgiving them. Okay, prayed and forgive them. And I said this, and there was an unction of the Spirit. Can you believe that in one day you can be completely restored? And I'll be honest with you, I have total unbelief. How we, unbelief is sin. I want to confess to the sin why you have the unbelief. I've never seen anything like this. Fine. Let's repent. Within 24 hours, exonerated with the FBI investigation, the government officials behind it were actually told to call and apologize to him and restore all the monies that were lost. It took him nine months, though, to get to that five-minute prayer. All I'm saying is we should never fear. There was one time uh, in the presence of God I had an abusive dad, he said, Doug, when you screw up, do you see me in heaven slapping some angel around going, why did I save that kid? I said, well, kind of, I do see you that way. He said, no, that's who your father was. That's not who I am. Can I show you something about who I am that you have not yet known? I said, okay. You know, and has ever, has, have God ever said, hey, let me show you who I am? God, give me the grace for that one. Okay, God, give me the grace to show me something. Well, I want to show you is what I saved you from. And, and what I saved from, you know, I was the one destined for hell that God came and saved. 
And the things that I had done before I got saved were horrible. And my wife is the one who led me to the Lord. But uh, he said, I want to show you some things about me that you don't know. Let me show you some of the evil to which I delivered you from. Let me bring you back. And I said, Father, I can't look at those things in my past. They're so horrible. I know, but that's what grace is for. But I want to show you something about me. And so he showed me the depth of my depravity of sin. And I was undone. I said, Father, I can't look at this. He says, now what do you see? I see your hand is deeper than my sin carried me. He said, even if you go to hell, I am there. Doug, you should never fear telling me what's on your heart. I already know it. I've already saved you from it. You should come running to me every time. As a father, you did not know. And, and tell me what's on your heart and watch what I'll do. And it's that place of communion is called John 15, the abiding relationship. I am the vine, you are the branch. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But in this little thing, this is what I discovered, one of the neatest things about God, is that the greatest ministry I ever did in my life, I've done street evangelism, I've worked in prisons, I've done all kinds of different things, but the greatest ministry I ever did was sitting on the couch in my office in Atlanta. And in that abiding relationship, there's four promises that he makes. In this you'll know the love of the Father. Your joy may be full. In this you'll bear much fruit. And my Father is glorified. And what? Talking to me. Okay. How many guys here are married and your wife wants to talk? Okay. Guys are not predisposed to talking. Women are. It's a good thing. <laughs> Learning how to talk to God. Learning how to get in, in what's in your heart that's not like him and let him transform you. He convicts me one time in Atlanta. He says, Doug, I want you to minister to the gay community. I said, that ain't my thing, God. You know, he said, what's on your heart? I said, well, it's repugnant. It's disgusting. You know. He said, what's on your heart? I said, there's no love. He said, that's the point. You put more faith in the power of sin than the power to break, my, break man's sin, which is Christ crucified, bearing their griefs, their sorrow, and their iniquities. You got me there, God. I repent. I, there is no faith, and I can't believe that your, your power is greater than their sin. And I have no love as to cover it. And there's a promise. Again, when you pray, you get this witness in your spirit, something's transacted. And I, and I prayed knowing that something had transacted. But there's this promise in Isaiah 22, 22, that he would open doors that no one could open, close doors that no one could close. I got a call the next day from First Baptist Atlanta. One of the pastors there said, Doug, could you take over our ministry to the gay community? Oh, God. Now, the day before God convicted me, I want you to minister in a gay bar. I can't do that, God. <laughs> We've got to work something out here. And that's, and that's what I repented of. And so they called me the next day, please take over ministry to the gay community. And the pastor says to me, he says, why don't you pray about it? I said, I did yesterday. And uh, he says, oh, by the way, we have a building here that used to be a gay bar. We want you to use he had opened doors and no one could open, closed doors and no one could close. I was there for seven weeks, again, praying about having no love for this community, feeling rejected because no one showed up. You know, and all of a sudden I started to realize, you're letting me, by provocation, realize what their problem is. So I started praying for the gay community. We had over 200 guys, countless women who had come out of the gay lifestyle. But God had to set me free to set them free. He had to show me where I had no love, no faith, no ability to understand how to bring them out and to know Christ and to bring them to repentance. And there was one time I'm in a group of guys, there's 20 guys, I'm the only straight one there, and they said, uh, you know, you love us, knowing what we're into, and you're not into that. I said, no. In fact, I was, I was like, yeah, I, I love you guys. It's like I was just as surprised I could love them as, 
is they could feel that they were being loved. I'm just as surprised I could love you guys too. And it's because I was feeling that God's heart was greater than their sin. And I said, well, how can you love us and you're not into what we're into? I said, I had to repent of something. What did you have to repent of? I had to repent of thinking your sin was greater than God's love and passion for you to come to know his son. And I was wrong in what I was believing. And their first response, there wasn't one person I ever had to tell that what they were doing was wrong. They knew it. But their first response was, in the light of the love of the Father, we want to know your Father. The love of God constrains us from sin, but also leads those who are lost to want to know who the Father is. If we don't have that love. What does love do in the last days? Perfect love casts out all fear. And so I'm not perfected in love. I'm still tormented by fear. That fear oftentimes is rooted in things that have not been reconciled in our lives in our childhood. Does this make sense? In all the things that I saw that the Lord was going to bring or allow to happen in our country, uh, the greatest horrors that of skin for skin man would do anything is to save their life, and what they can conceive to do against their neighbor is incredible. Um, and again, things that I've witnessed, I've dealt with many murders, rapists, child molesters. That was part of what I had done. I had many of them actually arrested. And all of those things you hear, their rationalization, justification, and how they can do evil against their neighbor. I've witnessed much evil. And that's what's coming. With the What holds much of our nation together is the love of money, the, the normalcy, bias. Just things are always going to be the way they are. And when that's interrupted you see chaos. There's six uh, factors that happen to a civilization before its collapse, the last one being that of anarchy, and we are just a collapse away from anarchy. Already six different or five other factors of what happens to a civilization before it falls are already well-trenched and already been going on. But what I saw met to the greatest horrors that are going to come on is the greatest miracles of God. His passion for us is undescribable. I'm going to interrupt the broadcast right there. 30 years ago, God began to give me prophecies saying that one day he was going to use me to win thousands upon thousands of souls to his kingdom, including an audible voice, a vision, a dream, and six prophetic words. I believe that I've been directed to organize a meeting to release sevenfold miracles. We're asking those who believe in the warning given to Dimitri that America is the mystery Babylon, willing to sow a key of David's seed, willing to commit to a three-day consecutive fast, and believe we are in the last days to come to this crusade. During this crusade, we're asking people to walk the steps of Moses by observing Passover, Unleavened Bread, and First Fruits, which is April 19 through 22. We believe that once we have fasted, sown the key of David, opened the doors, and followed the steps of Moses, God is going to release the sevenfold miracles like no person or angel in history has ever seen. If you want to attend, register at sevenfoldmiraclecrusades.com. There are only 500 seats available. We expect to have several thousand wanting to come. That's sevenfoldmiraclecrusades.com. Register while there are still seats available. sevenfoldmiraclecrusades.com. I just posted a 16-page newsletter, our largest and most important newsletter in 25 years. It gives you in writing all the prophecies, dreams, visions, and audible voices I've received over the last 30 years telling me to organize this sevenfold miracle crusade. It'll put you in tears. Frankly, it'll put you in tears. You can download it for free at prophecyclub.com, prophecyclub.com. 
In 2017, I memorized the book of Revelation just as a simple project. Surprisingly, I began to receive information on 30 revelations and two visions beyond what is found in the Bible. God showed me a secret door, which is based upon a single word found in Revelation and Leviticus, linking the feasts to the prophecies. When linked, a person enters into an understanding of Bible prophecy not previously known. Even though I've been in the world of Bible prophecy for 40 years, frankly, I did not know anything of what is in this book. One prophetic word described it this way. There is a lock that I have put over a word in the book of Revelation that I'm going to open to you. It will turn so many books written on the end time message into obsolete books. That's this book. Topics are Jesus returns on what feast? The secret of the feasts. Who are the two witnesses? What is the morning star? The judgment seat explained. The great white throne explained. The nations explained. What is the shout? And the parables explained. Seals, trumpets, and vials go in what water? Two amazing prophecy charts on the back flap, 12 inches by 9 inches. Imagine a book on prophecy that brings a fresh, new, accurate perspective. I don't want you to get one book for $20. I want you to get five books for $30 or 10 for 55 It's called The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy. Available at prophecyclub.com. The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy. One for 20 No, 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 don't do that. You want to get five for 30 or the best deal, 10 for 55 prophecyclub.com.